Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Celestial Podcast, the Doctor Who podcast hosted by Joey Morgan. Today, I'm here with Brian Corgan, a.k.a. Briarheart02. I'm sick as fuck. Hell yeah, I'm here with Jacob Licklider. Apparently, if I don't talk, Brian thinks I don't exist. And Marcus, a.k.a. The Sentinel. Hello? Hell yeah. All right. Today we're talking about, uh, oh yeah, this is the first podcast, Celestial Podcast, where we're upping the amount of main ranges we cover per episode. So we're uh, moving up from five to eight. So today we're discussing main range numbers 21 to 28, that being Dust Breeding, Blood Tide, Project Twilight, The Eye of the Scorpion, Colditz, Primeval, The One Doctor, and Invaders from Mars. So um, I guess we should jump right into this, of course. Spoilers, as always. But of course, you know, they're old audios. And if you haven't, and if you're a big Finnish fan, and you haven't heard, of, heard them at this point, there's something wrong with you. All right. So let's jump right into Dust Breeding by, and why do I do this all the time? I forget to pull up the writer. Who wrote Dust Breeding? Mike Tucker. <laughs> Mike Tucker. Thank you. Um, Dust Breeding by Mike Tucker. All right. Who would like to begin? I will. Go ahead, Marcus. So. Really kind of my biggest issue with this is really mostly a nitpick. The story could have used one more draft because this is the big finish debut story of The Master, played brilliantly by Jeffrey Beavers. But when you look at the script and you look at the characterization, you can still kind of tell this script was meant for Anthony Ainley. Hmm, I'll agree with that. That, that I mean, mm, I think... But- <sighs> at the same time i say it's a nitpick because jeffrey beavers only had one story on screen and the the decayed master only had two so he doesn't have the same amount of characterization that delgado or ainley had so yeah if he plays it similar to ainley as i mentioned um that's fine because we don't at this point know much about this master and to be fair, like Beavers' master wasn't properly defined until master, I would say. Like that's where that's the story where we really understand who that master's character is. And also to be fair, like the story the only story that Jeffrey Beavers appeared in on TV was the exact same story that he morphs with Tremus and becomes the Ainley master. So if you're gonna compare the two characterizations, it's a pretty fair comparison to make that being and, the only and if I may play second devil's master before. Um in the story, they'd specifically say this is still post-survival for the Master, so... It could still be decayed. Yeah, yeah, because they say that it's his decayed Troconite body, so it could still be Ainley, you know? It's it's fair enough. Yeah, it's just this this script was written for Anthony Ainley and he didn't want to do it. Yeah, yeah. Let alone the fact that... He died right before, right? No, he died three years after. Did he? Oh, he died shit. in 2004. Shit, you are correct. That's so weird because Ailey, like, as we know, of course, like, loved the show to bits. That's um, so he odd. asked, he, he, the big finish couldn't afford him. Ah, fair. He, fair. he asked kind of a big price. I think because, um, Ainley as a person was upper, pretty upper class. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can just kind of get that by, you know watching anything with him yeah Uh, yeah so that's why Mm -hmm. i gotta say though like even even though the writing is still for ainley beavers totally makes it his own i I still really get into the performance yeah this isn't one of my favorite master stories but this is one of my favorite beavers performances yeah because you could tell like he's just he's having the time of his life like being back in the role um and he's eating up every single second it's it's wonderful to listen to it's also a really nice sequel to genocide machine 
Yes, that it is. That it is. And uh, speaking this is, of, this is actually one of my favorite master stories. And it canonizes the BBC books too, I think. With because, the grill? Yeah, with the grill. Yeah. I think it specifically references Storm Harvest. Hmm. And for some reason, people still think that this conflicts with First Frontier when the timeline is very clear for the Master. He does the regeneration shit in First Frontier, and then that body starts to degenerate. So I digress. Anyway, yes. what were you about to say, and Brian? The, yeah, this is one of my favorite Master stories. I think I think actually the script captures the essence of the Master perfectly. Yeah. I, 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 I really enjoy how it's written, and I really enjoy Beaver's performance. It's probably one of his most sinister and one of the masters. Like I said, he's just being very mastery in this one. He's behind everything, pulling the strings, but you know, he's got that sinister voice to go along with him. He's got a disguise with the fucking mask. It's just, yeah, I really like it. I think this one. He's going with an anagram. Yeah, yep. this one's and like... I'm going to be honest, when I first listened to this, I didn't know the Master was in it. Neither did I, actually. Wait, did... no, I didn't, actually. Did I? No. I didn't. Wait, I can't, I can't remember if I did, actually, because honestly, even if you know the Master's in it, Beavers' character is still hidden pretty well because they still, like, muffle his dialogue because he's behind the mask. Like, it's still it's still fairly concealed. Like, well, well, he's not credited right on the cover because when I first listened to this, I was I didn't, I wasn't really looking at like the credits i think i had heard i think i knew that carolyn john was in it which we need to talk about her yes because she is she is a thing but i i and the whole mr cedar i was like for whatever reason i didn't make the anagram connection yeah little in the fact that like even in the credits i'm looking at the big finished page right now it's just cedar they don't call him mr cedar so you can't even put that anagram together just looking at the cast list yeah, so like, oh, yeah, cool. I, I I guessed it was definitely the master because Jeffrey Beaver's name is in that cast list. Well, here's the, here, here's but, the thing. but also but also think about like Big Finish had never used the master before. If you were listening to this back in 2001, like you would have no clue. You would never suspect it because Big mm-hmm. Finish Big Finish had this long history of of bringing back Doctor Who actors that were really well known, but like not as the characters they played on TV. Hell, even in this story, Carolyn John, she doesn't play Liz Shaw, but she's here. She's well, just... no, no, I get that, but it's just I, I don't know. I went in and I was like, oh, Jeffrey Beavers is in this is probably playing the master, but Carolyn John in this story is the really, definition really of camp. Fucking amazing. Not yes. just that, but I, I just really enjoy her performance and the way she bounces off fevers in this. It's it's really fucking good. Gee, I wonder why they have good chemistry. Could it be because they were <laughs> married? <laughs> um, yeah. They're, they're, I think yeah, it could be, Brian. Hmm, I, I, think this, I think this is also a great story for exploring the relationship between the Master, Ace, and the Doctor. Like I think they, I think they have like a lot of good character moments together, specifically, specifically with Ace. Like, like this being an Ace that like that has been mind wiped and only knows the Master from survival. This, to her at least, being her second encounter with the Master, it makes it really great for like just for her relationship with him. It's um, there's there's a nice rapport there, and of course, Sylvester McCoy gives one of his best performances when he's up against the Master himself. He's he's wonderfully dark. 
Oh, my favorite scene in this story is actually the one where they where they come head to head, and there's that really awesome score in the background. It's ooh, it's just oh yeah, the sound perfect. design here really does make you feel like we're definitely on a dust world. Like, let's let's be honest, um, a a, a planet that's like all desert and dust isn't the most original idea. Like. Desert Planet is kind of a standard sci-fi setting, but the sound design really yeah. makes makes it cool. And the idea of like just a random art gallery kind of doing this whole weird this whole take on modern art is cool mm-hmm. as well. Also, Personally, the doctor just stealing paintings like, well, they're gonna be destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Good. I don't. I, I really don't like the fact that there actually was a Dalek saucer in the heart of the planet. After all, that that didn't sit right with me, though. I don't take big issue with it. It's just a nitpick I have. I was like, ah, oh, that that atmosphere sounds really fucking cool, and then they reveal that it was just the Daleks screaming all along. It's kind of like, oh, well, that's shit. Hmm. I didn't like that at all. Fair enough. All right. So, uh, anything else to say on dust breeding? Most of uh, the side, char- most of the side characters in this are great. You know, we talked about the doctor and the master, but Bev is back from the genocide machine, and she's good. Guthrie oh, yeah, this is really good. Her, this this kind of Guth- into her it's... Bernie Summerfield appearances. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. She oh, reappears cool. in the Benny single releases. Is Guthrie? Oh, yes, I remember you telling me that. Yeah. Is Guthrie the old guy? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love him. He's so fucking cool. The oh, actor says, no, the I die on who says, the, says the man who hates the genocide machine. What? I said I says the man who hates the genocide machine. What's wrong with Guthrie? Yeah, but for some reason you hate the genocide machine. <laughs> I do hate the genocide machine. I didn't say I love Bev. <laughs> okay, then. Uh, Anyway, um, ratings out of 10 for dust breeding. Brian? Probably an 8. Jacob? Uh, I'm going to give it a 7 because it's kind of... There There are kind of just a couple things that don't quite elevate it to a great status, but it's definitely one of those underrated gems that, like... You know. And Marcus? 8. Wow, I'm going to seem like the really generous asshole here that gives it a 9, so I'm going to give dust breeding a 9. All right, then. <laughs> so let us move on to Blood Tide by the one and only Jonathan Morris. Who would like to begin? Can I take this one? By all means. Okay. Blood Tide is the perfect example of how to do a Silurian story without just rehashing Doctor Who and the Silurians. Big fact. Like, yeah. it's not perfect. Also, it's really kind of dark with these great implications, and, you know, Rob Shearman plays the Murka, but That's so great. <laughs> <laughs> At least the Murka was finished this time. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's but Rob this Sherman is book. just this is another one where you really get the atmosphere. Like it's Charles Darwin, Evelyn Smythe is oh, our companion. oh, and Darwin is played wonderfully by Miles Richardson. Yeah. It really shows. It shows. It's a performance from Richardson that shows his sort of um, just his range as an actor. Oh yeah, yeah. 
Well, even like, at this point, you would have already, they've already they would have already cast him as as Irving Braxiatel. He would have appeared in a versus, yeah yeah definitely um, as 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 Brax. And Ooh, um, I really I think... like the idea in the story that the Silurians basically created humanity for oh, some yeah, reason. That... That that really unsettled me when I listened to it. That the Silurians are basically God, and it, yeah. it just it just kind of kind of fucked with me, you know. I it's was, so I'm good. not I'm not even a religious guy myself, but I was still like, oh, that's fucking yeah, scary. Yeah, yeah. the story well, plays well, a lot. The story plays a lot with, of course. I mean, of course, Darwin being involved with the story plays a lot with, um, with the idea of a higher power. And uh, see, what and I find I think... interesting is that. Is that is that there is that there is the idea of a higher power because Darwin as as a person wasn't he, people like to say he's this great atheist thinker he he really wasn't oh like, yeah I mean I mean the idea of an atheist as we know it now you know wasn't wasn't even that I mean that it was, fully formed it was of a, a concept you know it was, it was a thing but like it was un it would have been unheard of because of how religious the time period was and I think. That's amazing. I, I love the idea of Darwin's entire worldview being shaken because not not because of evolution, because let's be honest, evolution didn't really shake Darwin's worldview. Like, yeah, this, what I'm trying to say is Morse does a really good job of making this both isolated and connected to the wider world, because at the time, the ideas behind evolution were already being developed by other people. Yeah. Darwin just happened to publish first, so he mm-hmm. gets a lot of the credit, rightly so, because, you know, he got oh, was this the Jonathan Morris most... story? This was Morris's first big finish story. Oh, I love Jonathan Morris. And I think it might have been his first Doctor Who story overall, actually. Well, what a Probably. fucking opener. Damn. Oh yeah. And like and he and he really like like I, as big of a Silurian fan as I am, they're not even my favorite thing about this story. I just love Darwin. I love the journey Morris puts Darwin on as a character. Um, you, you see him slowly start to, to to develop and change his ideas as a person as he as he goes along, and um, and of course the Silurians add to this. You know, the Silurians basically being Doctor Who's physical representation of the of the theory of evolution. I love that. I think it's a perfect matchup and something that like. Why would why would no Doctor Who writer ever think of this before? It's such a unique idea, but also a really obvious connection to make. Yeah, it it really it really is, and I I like I also like how this is. We're obviously going to ta- probably start discussing the the, uh, the 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 six Doctor Eves on Ark with the next story, at least a little bit. We're going to probably touch on it, but this kind of starts like the trend of just really dark six Doctor stories with Evelyn. Yeah, like, yeah. This, this is... Yeah, the Silurians are dark as fuck in this. They're great. Yeah. And... Oh, Silurian so boys be fucked up in this one. They are. Oh my god, I love it. It's so good. <laughs> and it's like the only Silurian story Big Finish would do for like a decade. Which yeah. can I can I just say the fact that these Silurians are way more fucked up than a lot of the other Silurians we've come across does does a wonderful thing in creating some sort of some more depth in the character, the overall character of the Silurians as a species. Like, yeah, it makes them more individualized, and I, I just really like that. Well, I think um, I think the Silurians have always been individual characters. You know, you, it's just 
on TV in particular, they get that that idea kind of gets muddled by the fact that all the costumes look the exact same. So they're so like all the Silurians do have individual identities on TV, but you know the fact that they all look the same does kind of take away from that. Here, at least, all you know them by is their voice, and that kind of distinguishes them as characters. Whereas if you were to read a book uh, or, or or novelization of one of their TV stories or read a book featuring the Silurians, all those Silurian characters are individuals in the same way that they are on TV. But again, that that idea just gets, gets muddled by the costumes. Well, I, I'm not even referring to that. I'm referring to like the similarities between each of the Silurian TV stories, how there's always... <laughs> One that's uh, obviously doesn't want peace with humanity, and one that does that that type of thing. That, that's that's just sort of eh, makes them all feel very samey. This is probably, to me at least, aside from the ones in Silurian Candidate, the uh, the most un- unique three of the Silurians that we've met so far. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I mean, like, I I, I I'm partial to um to the Silurians in Doctor Who and the Silurians. But, I mean, you know. I, 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 like, I think... Go ahead. I also like the arc that um, the woman goes through. I'm forgetting the Silurians' names. How she saved the major antagonist in the beginning of the story, and then as the events unfold, she realizes, oh shit, this was a terrible mistake. Yeah, yeah. Because the Silurians always have sort of had that more human element to them. They've always they've always been more fallible, and they've always been able to realize their mistakes and, and grow as characters like normal human characters do. And that's why the Silurians, have an, as an idea, have always persevered through Doctor Who media. And I think they've always produced some of the strongest stories. I mean, even, even their one new, real new series story is still cut, touches on things like that. Very um, briefly. Yeah. yeah not yeah. great, but... It, yeah. Ah, okay. <laughs> um, uh, we talking right. about the old chin ball again? God damn it, Brian. Brian. <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh, God. Rings a 10 for Blood Tide, uh, Jacob. Uh, I'm uh, 9 out of 10. 9 out of 10. I would agree with that. I'm going to give it a 9. Marcus? I will say an 8. 8. Brian? I'm a, I'm gonna go ahead and agree with Marcus. I don't know what I gave it in the Evelyn discussion video. Speaking yeah. of the Evelyn discussion video, I feel like we've been here before. On to Project Twilight with uh, uh, Kevin, written by Kevin Scott. Here, we go. here, we, go. here we go. Here we go. Everybody's gonna hate me again. Do I even have to give my opinion on this one? Brian, no, no, let Marcus go first, because everyone here, like, who, if, as long as they've been watching the channel for, I don't know, a decent amount of time, they have they know all, all of our thoughts already. Marcus, right. go ahead. <laughs> you know, when I finished listening to this one, I posted my thoughts on Twitter, and I said, in spirit, this is a season 22 story. And by extension, I would also probably say this is one of the most graphic stories Big Finish has ever done. <clears throat> Was that you, Brian? Yeah, it's blowing a raspberry. Okay, then. You want to elaborate on that, Brian? <laughs> I, I... No. This is and not one of just... the most graphic they've done. I'd say... I'd say it kind of is. I'd nice. say Project it's... Lazarus is way more graphic than this piece of shit. I think Project Lazarus is darker, but it's not more graphic. 
This one has more. Yeah, this one has more blood and just. Yeah, this one definitely has has like has more more like direct body horror behind it. Yeah, and as as someone whose favorite classic, whose season is season twenty two, I really like the feel of this story. That's yeah. a fair point. Yeah, yeah, I think um, it's not one of my favorites. I think it's I think its popularity has been a little bit overblown over time, um, but I do think it is a fantastic story. It's one that you really feel the the gothic nature behind it, and also it's one of those stories that um, that really gets into the mind of the Doctor really well because I, I love the moment in particular when he learns that vampires are involved in this and his attitude changes immediately. It's it's a side of the Doctor that I always love to see because it's almost like this this naturally ingrained prejudice inside the Doctor. It, it, it's it's so interesting and a, and a fascinating concept that you really don't see often, and uh, especially this being Colin Baker performing it, I think it's it's even better. Vampire science does that better. I, okay. I don't know if I can... I, I, I know vampire science does it incredibly well. Um, and th- this is kind of a similar... Kind of similar to vampire science in a lot of ways. Uh, oh, well, that's why I brought it up. Yeah, but here's the thing. Where vampire science, you have... Um, you have Kate Orman and Jonathan Blum writing a lot of trying to get the eighth doctor down and create a character for him. This is an explore. This is part, this is an exploration of how the doctor can react. And that's how the entire, the entire forge arc is. It's an exploration of how the doctor can react to someone in a bad situation that she can't really get out of. I'm talking about Cassie here. Um, It's, it's it's taking two very similar sort of plot, putting the Doctor in two very similar kind of um, functions in the plot, but just the per- but the way those functions end up playing out is totally different. Go read Vampire Science if you haven't. I'll I'll fully admit it's brilliant. It's a Kate Orman novel. What do you expect? Um, but this one just puts the Doctor in a position of trying to do some good and being manipulated for it. Like, yeah. This is, this is the sixth doctor trying to trust people. Um, realize coming, coming fresh off of a story that is very dark. Let's be honest with blood tide and going almost mm-hmm. darker. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I also sort I, of like the caves of Androzani feel to it where the doctor and his companion are in the middle and there is no clear right or wrong side between the various factions yeah see that's what vampire science differs vampire science is very much has good guys and bad guys maybe that's why i'm not a fan of this one i think marcus may have just caught it caught it in a nutshell it's kind of similar to caves of Androzani. <laughs> what do you Brian, know like caves of Androzani? Brian. No, Jacob, like no, don't don't open this can of worms, you ass. <laughs> Wait, he doesn't like Caves of Androzani? No, he doesn't. Why is this news to you? You've known me for years. He's the worst. <laughs> Brian is the worst person. <laughs> this explains so much. Oh, God. Just... Oh, God. Everyone unsubscribe from Briar Hardin, too. As if, as, as if he isn't losing subs fast enough with him not uploading. Unsubscribe from Briar Hardin. I haven't lost any subs. I've just stayed the same. <laughs> oh, have they, have they really stayed the same? I've yeah, noticed. I've been at 3.30 for months now, bro. 
What? You know, didn't he like that? Wait, did, you, didn't, you haven't uploaded in like two months. No, I uploaded last month. Shut the fuck up. On the first. <laughs> okay, so it's been a month and a half. So what? Where's your next book review, Brian? Not coming until <laughs> summer. <laughs> fuck you. When's the, when, when's the next Gary Russell Chronicles coming, Brian? Not until next summer. Or not next summer, this summer. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, um... <laughs> I also just, I love the characters. And I, I love, one, Nimrod is just an amazing character. Probably my favorite big Finnish villain at this point. Yeah, he's good. I mean, I, eh, pro- probably not my favorite, but he's up there, definitely. I do like Nimrod quite a bit. I will give it that. Nimrod's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Um, see, th- see, this is what perplexes me. Brian loves stories like Dust Breeding and Project Lazarus, which are, like, almost direct sequels to other stories, but he doesn't like the story that comes before them. <laughs> Sometimes the sequel's just better than the first one, you know? Yeah, but not so much better that, like, <laughs> that you just, like, despise the first one. Want to know one thing that actually breaks that? For me, I actually prefer Star Wars A New Hope over Empire Strikes Back. See, and that that's another... <laughs> not a hot take. My dad does. Oh, God. Just... I hate this. I hate this so much. <laughs> you just want to move on to ratings? Uh, unless anyone else has anything else to say. Anyone from Project Twilight? The Project Twilight I can speak today. Um... I think it's one of the best things where, you know, with, to do vampires in Doctor Who. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. What? What? I have to look up the Evelyn video to make sure my opinion remains consistent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's go very slowly around the room and give our ratings out of 10 for Project Twilight. Jacob, would you oh. like to give your rating out of 10 for Project Twilight? Yes, Joey, I will. So for Project Twilight, I think it's the best vampire story, one of the best vampire stories in Doctor Who. And it starts off the Project Trilogy really well and really brings the Evelyn Six Doctor dynamic great. I give it a 10 out of 10. That is the incorrect opinion. I am going to give Project Twilight an 8 out of 10. It is good, but not that good. Marcus, would you like to give your rating out of 10 for Project Twilight by Kevin Scott and Mark Wright? I can't find this goddamn Anyway, like I said, just thematically, um, tone-wise, I love how much this story evokes season 22, so I'm giving it a 9 out of 10. Thank you for your rating for Project Twilight by Kevin Scott and Mark Wright. That was an excellent rating. I enjoy my rating, too. I enjoy Jacob's rating, too. All opinions are valid, except for Briarhardo 2's. He has the incorrect opinion and cannot be trusted with anyone's life. We're going to go... I can't fucking... Ryan, would you like to give your rating out of 10 for Project Twilight? Uh, well, 
since I can't find it, we're gonna go on guesswork and say last time I probably gave it a 5 out of 10, so that's what I'll give it this time. Uh... <laughs> anyway, let's move on to The Eye of the Scorpion by Ian McLaughlin. Who would like to begin? Brian? God damn it. God damn it. Do you just like everyone... Brian, I s- if you dislike this one too, <laughs> I um, the answer oh is I love this one so much. I think the the story is superb. <laughs> I love it to bits. I think it's very atmospheric. Peter Davison is definitely giving one of his best performances. I love Aramem as a character, and Perry doesn't piss me off in these stories whatsoever. Uh, fun. Oh, 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 no. oh, wait. oh you, weren't, you weren't, like, doing a piss take? That, that's your actual opinion? Yeah, that's my actual <laughs> opinion! So what is your actual opinion on the eye of the scorpion, The exact opposite of what I just fucking said. (laughs) Wait, Perry annoys you here? Yeah! What? No, I I really like her in this one. Uh, Perry in the Aramem stories really pisses me off for some reason. I mean, they piss piss me off because, like, they they artificially extend a really interesting part of Davison's timeline. No, that's not it. it. Just Perry's characterization throughout the Aramem stories really irks me for some reason. No. Brian, Brian, are you sane? Everyone cancel, cancel Briar Hart out. I don't like Eye of the Scorpion either. Seriously? I think this is a great companion introduction story. I think we really understand, like, where Aramem Aramem comes from as a character, let alone the fact that, like, this is the way you do uh, well, how how should I best word it? This is the way you do like a culturally insensitive historical story, like tactfully. I'm looking at you, Time Worm Genesis. Like this is like it even has a scene kind of similar to that. It does. Where, it does. It do, where, yeah, where, where the Fifth Doctor and Perry are talking about um talking about like the servers and the, and the people like at the party there, and it's like it's it's kind of similar to the scene with the Seventh Doctor and Ace in Genesis. Except instead of the Doctor telling his companion, if someone wants to rape you, just let it happen, the Fifth Doctor tactfully discusses cultural differences and says, that does not mean that you, yourself, should conform to these cultural differences. Wow, I only like three out of the seven Aramem stories I've listened to. Okay, then. Yeah, this was and you, know, you know, you know what's really funny? I brought up the Time Worm Genesis analogy, <laughs> and then two stories later, we have Necromantea for Aram. <laughs> yeah, which is Ooh, man, that was not a strong comparison. <laughs> I mean, it's a strong comparison here, but like you know, in retrospect, also, it's a pure historical. Yeah, you gotta appreciate that. And I love that. You know what? I just realized it's a pure historical. It's great. It Sorry, feels Marcus. like this. Marcus, Marcus, what were you about to say? I just because this is the second five Perry story after Red Dawn, right? Yeah. And because my biggest problem with Red Dawn was how flat Peter Davison and Nicola Bryant felt as a pair, oh, and here oh, their I chemistry. Love Red Dawn. Brian, shut up. And here their chemistry has just improved tremendously. 
I'll agree with that actually. Yeah, I think I think there's a significant difference in in how they act off each other. I guess because in Red Dawn they really didn't know each other very well, and uh, yeah, I mean I don't know. I, I'm always like kind of thrown off by Peter Davison and Nicola Bryant's chemistry as a whole because I know like Peter Davison for some reason just like doesn't give a fuck talking about like how much he disliked Perry as a companion. Like, has anyone ever heard Peter Davison, like, talk about, like, how he's like, well, we should have had an American companion and it wouldn't have worked out. I'm like, uh, okay, she's, like, right next to you, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> he does that all the fucking time. And I'm like, dude, like, just calm the fuck down. So I always feel like, I always felt like that would, like, really alienate Nicola Bryant. But for some reason here, like, I think, like, performance-wise, yeah, I, I'll agree with Marcus. They this have this is also, a, like, a Jamie situation where Aaron wasn't supposed to be the companion. Yeah, oh, really? when I first heard this, I had no idea RMM was a companion. So when I got that twist at the end, it's like, okay, I could be interesting seeing how this goes forward. Yeah, oh, you didn't, know, oh, you didn't know who, twist. like, even who RMM was when you were first listening to it? No. Well, I no. didn't either. I, well, here's the, here's the thing, Joey. I was like, oh, RMM was like the only good thing about this story. Brian, I can't stand you today. <laughs> like this is one of the few times we get like a consistent we chose eight stories even this is eight stories right in a row in the main range that are all solid and brian the entire time is like mm, but they're not that good are they mm, mm, fuck you <laughs> it's okay i think i like the next one <laughs> oh you think you like the next one What's he the thinks next he one? likes the next what's one. the next one is it cold it's after this i like yeah, cold it's cold a lot after. Yeah, it's cold But yeah, no. Um I, I did I did like the fact that she becomes a companion at the end. That was that was pretty pretty solid, you know. I was like, Oh, we'll see where that goes and then it didn't follow up the way I thought it should and I was kinda of disappointed, but it's fine. I mean I do think Perry and Araman like not just in this story, but, you know, for their entire run. E even in the weaker stories in the Aramem run, I do think Perry and Aramem always have a really strong relationship with each other. I always think, like, I really like their dynamic. Yeah. Except, and and uh, it's exemplified here. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. strong characters. Except, of course, Necromantea. But... Yeah, Necromantea. Oh, God. Well, we'll talk about that when we get to it. We're, we're going to very... skip that one when we get to it. Yeah, I think um, yeah, to sum up, uh, historical setting is really strong. I, I enjoy all the performances in this one. Um, yeah, and great companion introduction, of course. Anything else to add on this one? Um, I, I really like Aramem's sort of relationship with her father and Antronac and just... Uh, they make her such a fleshed out character. It's, it's, Honestly, it's like, like, like I will say, like, no matter like what opinions I have on on like big finish companions as a whole, like their original companions, they always nail two things. They always nail the companion introduction and the companion exit. And they they're two arts that big finish have perfectly mastered. And it was apparent from the very start that they that they're just very skilled in in both types of, of Doctor Who storytelling. You know, even it, if the story it, isn't it, strong, like we get to know the characters well at the very It really is a damn shame that Ian McLaughlin never wrote another main range story another or and really never wrote another full-length doctor who story oh he wrote the, the veiled leopard though so, really yeah he wrote the veiled leopard oh okay so i have he got heard one the veiled more. leopard he, 
And that one was great. I, I listened to that fairly recently. I really enjoyed The Veiled Leopard. I haven't heard it. It's a freebie. so Yeah, it's good. Anyway, so, rating out of 10 for The Eye of the Scorpion. Uh, Marcus? I'd originally given it a 5, because I thought it was good. I just didn't feel strongly for it. But talking about it, I'm going to bump that up to a 7. Cool. I will agree with that. I'm going to give it a 7. Uh, Brian? 4. Oh my god, Brian. <laughs> Brian. I can't. Let's hands, hashtag cancel Briar Hardo 2. Oh my god. Jaco, what's your rating out of 10? Mine's an 8. Thank you. Thank you. Oh god. I can't. I can't do this anymore. Brian. Oh my god. I hate you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Anyway, let's move on to Colditz by the one and only Steve Lyons. Who I oh, know. I love Colditz! You know, you, you want, want to start? Go ahead, first? Brian. Go ahead. What, what's up? No, I was just saying, do you want the edgy take first? or? <laughs> Actually, you oh, you don't like Colditz, Marcus? Um, well, let me put it like this. I like okay, approximately... So, so if, if you want to open, go ahead. I like approximately half of this story. I love the Doctor stuff. The stuff with Klein, that's all really good. Not a fan of the Ace plot, though. Really? I quite like what? the Ace plot. I, I, I mean, I know we're dealing with Nazis here, and there's always going to be a fair amount of edge to it, but it, a lot of it feels needlessly edgy. Hmm. I'm going to disagree with that. I think, I think it's a fairly realistic portrayal of the Nazis, and throwing yeah. Ace right into the thick of that, I think, is a really strong storytelling method. And also, like... Being fairly familiar with Steve Lyons' typical Doctor Who work, this is really dark for him. I mean, like, he hadn't written that, Blood of the Daleks yet at this point, and um, it's a little jarring, like, like, knowing most of Steve Lyons' work. But although I, Steve Lyons, is, I mean, his first book was Conundrum, which wasn't, isn't that dark? Yeah, no, it's, it's fairly camp. Although um, I will say this, too, on the acting side of things, props, because I had no idea that was David Tennant. Oh, you didn't? Really? No. Really? I, I picked now, him out pretty easily, but I was still like, oh, fuck yeah, David Tennant! I picked this one up in um in one of the one of Big Finish's like, David Tennant birthday sales when he didn't have a ton of Tenth Doctor content on there. Um, and so, like, I knew he was in it. And also, but even then, like, I was still really taken in by his performance. You know, the voice is different enough. David Tennant always really got into his characters pre-Tenth Doctor. You know, yeah. I, like, he was, you could always tell, like, even before he played the Doctor, he was just so in love with just being a part of the Doctor Who universe. Um, and I'd imagine and I think I mean, being able to work strong. with Doctors he, he grew up with. Because obviously, he grew up with five. Um, and he would have then grown up with six and seven afterwards. Yeah. Well, I think he caught like the tail end of the, of the Baker era, I believe. Yeah, yeah, but he never really got to work with Tom Baker at Big Finish. Yeah. And I think but, part uh, of it I think part of it, too, for me, just why I don't like the Ace plot is every time we go back to the Doctor and Klein, it feels like there's a progression to it. The plot is changing. Things are evolving. But the Ace plot feels really repetitive. Like, she keeps going around in circles. Okay, so now that you bring that up, I kind of get where you're coming from a bit more. I think the more jarring plot, the more jarring thing about the two plots colliding with each other is that they're two wildly different plots. Ace is off doing her own thing while the Doctor is having this big time travel adventure with Klein. Um, it's it's a bit odd. I don't think the problem is so much that Ace's plot is more static. I think the problem is that 
they they are so different and they feel almost like two separate stories. And, but I, I, I really like how this story subverts expectations. Like But being so different, I think both plots are equally strong. Yeah. See, like I you start really the story like... thinking we're doing a standard sort of Nazi runaround, uh pure historical, and then suddenly it's a VNA-ish time travel plot. Yeah, yeah. With an and alternate I'm history. Also not a fan of the sound design. I don't know what it is, but the fact that like 90% of this story takes place in echoey corridors, just after a while it started sort of started grating on me. Hmm. I didn't find yeah. a big issue really with the sound like, design personally. I really like the parallel plot going on. I actually, I think I prefer the Ace one over the Doctor and Klein, if I'm honest. I think, I think because it has such an interesting idea behind it, and Lyons is just taking every A scene, and Lyons is taking every A scene as an opportunity to like test out something new with its idea. That's why that's why it keeps working. The plot may be repetitive in itself, but like every little thing that like that he's trying out with Ace uh, and Kurtz. Yeah, this is a yeah, very is... for me. This is like a very Ace centric story. This has a lot to do with Ace's character and how she deals with issues on her own. It's one of those issues being the beast Nazi character David Tennant's playing. And it I don't know, there's just something about it where Ace Ace is trapped and on her own that I, I just it, it also find, does the it also I does find it dark... I find it to be really claustrophobic and like I don't know, it, it's just really fucking cool. It's it also does story. the really dark the the really, really dark let's imply sexual assault plot really well. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, that was something else I said on Twitter. It's like, did Steve Lyons read Genesis before writing this? Why do we keep doing this to Ace? <laughs> well, I think, I think it makes sense. I mean, like, Ace wasn't like sexually assaulted in the story or anything, but yeah. like, Kurtz having that sort of power over her, like, it makes sense that that Kurtz would want to intimidate Ace in this way, it, rather than Gilgamesh just being a horny bastard. You know, I don't know, and just just coldest. And, and, and the doctor and the doctor's reaction, and the doctor isn't taking any of it here, which is of course. And that being said, I do love the ironic twist at the end, where it's like, well, if you, where Ace is just like, well, if you have no idea what's going on, going on, that means I can't run into one of your schemes. And this entire story was basically a scheme by the Eighth Doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By I... alternate universe Eighth Doctor that is still played by Paul McGann. Um, but yeah, but the also, doctor wouldn't even think up. Yeah, we need to talk about that ending though. Oh, that, that the ending! Most gru- Ooh, you want to you want to talk about gruesome and very graphic Doctor Who stories? Oh, like, yeah. my, yeah. my man, David, my man, David Tennant literally gets ripped apart as the TARDIS starts to materialize. And like, he's and they, and they, like, they do oh. it <laughs> flesh tearing, bubbling. Sound effects. David Tennant. David Tennant screeches at the top of his lungs. He screams bloody murder. It's just fucking blood curdling. How terrifying that ending is. It's so good. I love it so much. Just, just, just the fucking emotional trauma that Ace has suffered by the end of the story is just holy fuck. And it makes the rapture that much better. I think. Oh yeah, oh, I love I love the Rapture too, but that's a people. Well, people a lot of people hate the Rapture for yeah, some I, reason. Yeah, I mean, and those people are wrong, Jake. <laughs> I love the Rapture, but it wouldn't be nearly as good without the context of Cole that's coming before, just before it. I think. Oh, def- yeah, definitely, definitely. 
So, uh, ratings out of 10 for Colditz. I'm going to go Marcus. Six. Ah, Jacob. (laughs) Nine. Nine, yeah, I agree. Brian. Ten. Hot damn. Well, Marcus, for once you're the outcast, shun the Sentinel. All right. (laughs) Hey, at least he's not as edgy as Brian yet. This is true. You really can't get edgier than Brian. What the fuck? (laughs) So let us move on to Primeval by Lance Parkin. And oh, Oh. Primeval. Who would like to start? I think. What's up? What was that? Does anyone not like it? Oh, I thought you were going to say I I don't like it. (laughs) No, I like Primeval a lot. Thank Christ. Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, It's just a really solid story. I think it has a really strong idea behind it. Um, You know, strong ideas. It's it's, it's, let's do a pure historical, but not for planet Earth. It's yeah. Yeah. Which is just fascinating. Like, um, like, like Lance Park and Lance Park is one of those writers who he doesn't write often, but when he does, it's always one to look out for because there's going to be some sort of great idea behind it. Like, mm-hmm. like Lance Parkin's always one for like thinking really outside the box, but also of, like, but, but also like, this isn't that like, but take, take a, an established Doctor Who story and let's, uh, and let's try to twist it on its head somehow and see what we can do. Like his first Doctor Who work was just war, which is let's take time or Exodus, which was really received and see if we can make it really fucking dark. Yeah, yeah, and um, I think as I was just saying, like Lance Parkin's always one for thinking really outside the box. But at the same time, the idea behind Primeval isn't particularly unique. Um, but but it's something that like for some reason no other writer has thought of. Um, let's t- let's take this really significant event in Doctor Who history. In this case, it's it's the destruction of Trocken and Legopolis, and let's go back in in, in Trocken's history and let's let take Nissa there and let's have some fun with that. There's a lot of room there to play with, and uh, and Lance Parkin does it perfectly. He's an excellent writer and utilizes the idea to its fullest potential. I also like that this story happens to be another one of those stories that plays into the whole great old one bullshit. I really... What's his name? Quandar? Is that it? Yeah, Quandar. Yeah, he's one of the great old ones, so that's pretty fucking cool. Oh, I didn't realize Ian Hallard was in this. Mark Gatiss' husband. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, any, Anything to do with the great old ones, unless it's the abominable snowman. I normally really like so this this one kind of just well, gets a pass it helps from that, me. that Parkin was one place. of the one of the authors who kind of played around with the idea of great old ones and cold fusion a little bit, um, and I think he did, and, and he and he kind of has played around with it with the Infinity Doctors, which is a, which is a um, eighth Doctor book that he wrote. Um, I don't know the the fucking second half of this story does feel like really urgent. And you're hanging on every bit of dialogue that leaves the characters' mouths. Yeah, it's just really well written, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. The, the first and second half, like while being slightly different to one another, they both offer something really interesting. Because for the first two parts, you really are just mostly like kind of hanging around, playing with the idea of like, oh, this is back in, in in the past of Trock, and she shouldn't be here. What are the people going to think of her? Will they catch on? And once that idea is kind of run out, you 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 really dive into Quandar as a character. You you have some fun with him and the Doctor in parts three and four, and you have. Have 
and and Lance Parkin for one always I have noticed is one for great conclusions to stories. Like a lot of a lot of writers would take a great idea like this and not stick the landing. Lance Parkin can always write an ending. He's always great with a resolution. Also, just because I, I, I like mentioning this whenever there's a really good big finish score, the score to this one's really fucking cool too. So how many times have you heard it, Brian? How many times have I heard it? I <laughs> I've heard Primeval, like the actual audio probably three times and i own the soundtrack on cd no i was saying how many times have you heard the soundtrack oh a lot <laughs> a lot <laughs> a I've lot to it a lot i think i think i used a bit of primeval in uh in that one scene of genesis that i edited i can't remember i used a lot of primeval in genesis <laughs> I, know, I know i know i used it because you recommended primeval you were like that that's the score i've mostly been using for this and i was like okay well i'll play around with that and i think i did it mostly in the scene with um was it the scene with um oh what's his name Aga and uh, and Demuzi when he's when he's being controlled by by Ishtar? I used it in that scene. I thought it fit it really well because yeah, it does have a really good score. I'll agree with that. So, yeah, uh, this one's one of my uh, one of my personal favorite soundtracks from a big Finnish audio. Nice, Marcus. You haven't spoken much. Um, yeah, no, just things we already talked like. Thinking about what you guys said, this story really excels in a in an audio format, especially with Quandar, because you know what makes Lovecraft and the Old Ones mythos work so well is, you know, the perception of your imagination. What you imagine is scarier than what's being shown, and you know, with Quandar being veiled and them never explaining what's under his veil, it works really well. Yeah, and it's even cool because like. Y- Lance Parkin so so easily could have jumped on the idea to unveil him because it's on audio. You don't have to really think too much about that. You could do a big reveal like that, and you can't think of like, oh, what is the how is the production going to do it? Because it's not going to matter. But he still did leave it a mystery, even in an audio format. And I will also say, if you've seen many of my other Big Finish videos, I've often said that Fallen Angels was my favorite Fifth Doctor audio. It might now be Primeval. Oh yeah, because you only just heard this for um for this podcast, right? Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's it's an excellent story. Um, yeah, it, it really is. Um, it's also it's it's a nice reflection just on Nissa on on the Doctor and Nissa's relationship, on how like yeah, the definitely. Doctor, like the Doctor kind of gives her an out here, like he takes her home and is basically like it's basically like, this is your chance where you can go home if you'd like to. Um, Obviously, that wasn't going to happen because, you know, she appears in the television series. Actually, looking at the Fifth Doctor and Nissa stories right now, the one that precedes this is a story that's very personal to the Doctor. It's the mutant phase. It directly ties into his history with the Daleks. Then you've got this. It directly ties into Nissa's history. And then right after this is spare parts in their timeline. And that's something very personal to both of them. So I kind of yeah. appreciate the, the theming there. And then, so once, and then, and then right after that is Creatures of Beauty, which is... The culmination of their entire arc up to that point, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot to be enjoyed there. So, I guess ratings out of ten for well, Prime Evil. Oh, before Brian, we do oh, that, I I do have one more thing to say. It's really brief and doesn't have anything to do with what Jacob just said, but I, I just want to point out that this story does the concept of a pre-keeper of Trocken Trocken story better than Guardians of Prophecy does. I've not heard Guardians of Prophecy. Oh, well, listening to Primeval and then Guardians of Prophecy, Guardians of Prophecy isn't even worth it. Marcus, don't you love that one? 
it I I'd rank it higher in one of my favorite lost stories, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Anyway, ratings at ten four primeval, Brian. Uh probably I'm I'm teetering between an eight and a nine. Okay. Jacob? I, I give it a nine. Alright, Marcus. Nine. I'm gonna give it an eight. Ouch. All right, uh, let us move on to The One Doctor by Clayton Hickman and Gareth Roberts. Uh, who would like to begin? I like this story. It's great. It's, it's, it's pretty I, good. Hey, 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 TV series. This is how you do a Christmas special. And you could still make it funny. Like, yeah. when we, like, when we people, that, like, complain about New Who, criticize the Christmas special, we're not talking about the really cringy, quirky comedy. I mean, we're, we're a little. We're kind of talking about that. But, <laughs> but in this case, it's not cringy comedy, and it's still Christmas-oriented, but it's, it's still, de- like, it's, it's a deconstruction it's, of Doctor Who. That, that's yeah. what this is. And it's um, still, and still actually got a plot to it. And it's and it's well, it's a deconstruction of the public perception of Doctor Who as of two thousand and one, because what what people have to understand is, um, and it's something that Russell T Davies obviously capitalized on in, by bringing Sarah Jane back is that the fourth Doctor and Sarah Jane, if you wanted to ask anyone who may have known something about Doctor Who, that's what they would think of. Like, oh, someone was. Yeah, I remember. Um... I think it was your fourth Doctor podcast that someone said this was originally written for Tom Baker and Liz Sladen. And if you had not told me that, I never would have picked up on it. I think the authors did so well at adapting it for the Sixth Doctor and Mel. And I argue it works better with the Sixth Doctor and Mel because let's be honest, it takes the least everyone, the most voted least favorite Doctor and the quote-unquote worst companion. Um... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that was basically just sort of fan consensus because it's and, and puts them in a story against basically versions of themselves uh, that I are basically. Now that you've pointed that out to me, I kind of want to see a version where it's Tom Baker and someone doing a good impression of Liz Slayton because obviously. Well, they, uh, well, Sadie do. Miller is taking over her mother's role, so. It's true. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um. Which actually, I, I do think is probably the best thing they can do with 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 recasting for Big Finish. Definitely. Some of these with roles, Sarah Jane, yeah, yeah. Cause, cause, I mean, like same thing goes for for Liz Shaw. You're never really gonna find a perfect recreation of the voice, so you know you may as well just go with their their daughters. I mean, it makes enough sense. Yeah, no, no, but what I'm trying to get at is, is that it's basically the actual Six Doctor and Mal versus the public's perception of Six Doctor and Mal. That's who Banto Zame. And Sally Ann basically are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Heck, it does the whole TARDIS as a porta potty joke really well. Yeah. 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 Oh, and, and it also, has Matt I, Lucas in it. I was yes. just about to bring that up, actually. I and love the. As a jelloid. I love the and jelloid. The, um, the jelloid the is usually my they... favorite part of this story. And it has like this, this really good Dalek parody with like the organizers. And the shelves, and it just it it sends up Doctor Who, and you just realize because because let's be honest, Doctor Who at its core is a bit silly. Come oh, on, what what about the game show? What about the game show that gives me like really weird Bad Wolf and Parting of the Ways vibes? I mean, 
the, not uh, wrong? the supercomputer that's just being asked questions until it can't find the right answer to one. And then, basically, and is basically is like can beat your logical par- paradox. Like, yeah, I really, really, really like that bit of the story too. I also think the way they defeat the supercomputer is is really clever. Yeah, I mean, overall, the story is the story is fun. It has a decent plot to it. It kind of holds a holds a ridiculous mirror up to Doctor Who as a whole, but I don't know what it is about it. I can't entirely like get into it very easily. Like it's fun, it's great, it's 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 a it's an absolute joy to listen to. But I don't know. It's not one that I'm always like particularly particularly like pining to revisit. You know? And does anyone else get I, this, or is that just me being I get an asshole? That. I get that. I get that. No, because I, I definitely do get this. I, I listen to it once every few years, and then I never want to listen to it again. Well, okay. Yeah, it's which, of, which, which, which is weird. Of, which is weird it's because one of the ones I listen to all the time around Christmas. So yeah, I, I. Sorry, Brian. I listen to this one over Chimes of Midnight every Christmas. Uh, really? Uh, see, I never... listen to Chimes actually because, like, it's it's weird for such a fun story. It doesn't have much re-listen value for me i i know brian will at least agree on that um especially like and, and actually that, that's a de- decent point to bring up because i'm not one to typically listen re-listen to big finish stories and i know brian you are like you love re-listening uh to big finish me like i only have a select few stories that i would re-listen to and this totally seems like one that i would re-listen to all the time because yeah it's a ton of fun it's it's great but I don't know. Again, there's just something about it. It's it doesn't fully drag me in. Yeah, there there are like bad big finish stories I usually find myself revisiting before I revisit this one. It's kind of fucking strange. I kind of get that. I kind of get that. I mean, I only really like, re-listen to the I, that I really I like. I'd re-listen to Bang Bang a Boom over this one, and I really fucking hate Bang Bang a Boom. It's kind of strange. Mm. Well, anyway, any final thoughts on the one doctor? Um, you know, I think this is. I think this is also the one that. I mean, Fires of Vulcan kind of did it, but this is the story that really does redeem Mel. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. As far as Mel, the redeeming stories for Mel goes, everyone says Fires of Vulcan or this. I would recommend this one over Fires of Vulcan. I mean, not to say Fires. I'm not of sure I agree. Really, Vulcan. Fires, Fires of Vulcan is the one that does it for me. Like I, that. That's the big. Big Finish fixes Mel story. Fires of Vulcan. I mean, I may not be particularly fond of Fires of Vulcan, but I'm it, not sure. Well, what I, I think this story it. does. Sure is I, I think this 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 story lays out Mel's character and and makes her her character just really as laid out as obvious as it can be. Um, like to sort of create like almost it's it's almost in. A defense, like yes, I can definitely see where people would find Fires of Vulcan the one that redeems Mel. I just think this one almost, like, if had we not gotten Fires of Vulcan, this would do the job just as well, if not better. Eh, I guess fair. I guess fair either way. All right, so ratings out of ten for the one Doctor, I'm going to give it a seven. Brian, I'll go a seven. All right, uh, Jacob, I give it a ten. Fuck you, Marcus. <laughs> See, everything, every issue I've, and it's been a while since I've heard it, so I can't think of anything. Every issue I feel like I have with it is a nitpick, so yeah, I'm giving it a 10. 
All right, then. Let us move on to Invaders from Mars by Mark Gatiss. Who would like to begin? I want to do this Someone one. Someone else begin. I, yeah. I'm going to begin because I have I have a theory. The, the, the American lady played by Katie Manning. Right? Yeah? Wait, what? Uh, I missed what? that completely. Yeah, there's this American played by Katie Manning. Are you sure? Wait, I'm not. I'm not seeing Katie Manning on the cast list. She's in it. I swear to God, it is Katie Manning. There is no Katie Manning here. Hold up! Hold up! Hold up! I'm on TARDIS Wiki right now. I will find out. They took her off the cast. I think they took her off the cast list when they revamped the website. Did they really? Are you sure? Are you I am guess? sure. Hang on. I I yep. She. Yep. Right here. Reception guest Katie Manning. Oh. Huh. Okay. So sorry. Go on. Your theory. Yeah, she gets this tiny part. I am convinced she is Iris Wild Time putting on an American accent. You're probably right. <laughs> yes. Um, but other than that, um, Paul McGann meeting Orson Welles, and David Benson does a great job of playing Welles. Yeah. Is what makes this story. Mm-hmm. I think there's yeah. a lot of fun to be had with this one. It's another... So they're like ridiculous scenario that's taken surprisingly seriously. Um, and being like the first, like I'd call it the first, like regular, very standard who adventure for, uh, for the eighth doctor and Charlie, I think it works really well. Would anyone else agree with that standpoint, by the way? Am I just, am I alone in that? I really don't oh, no, like, Oh part. no, I, I, I kind of just sort of breeze through it unfazed on my first <clears throat> listen. But when I listened to it again, I really came to enjoy it. It's fun. It's a, it's a like, lot of fun. Two, just as a pseudo historical, I love the topic Gatiss chose because you know the Halloween Panic from the War of the Worlds broadcast is an event that I really kind of like in history. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and of course, I mean, you know, the natural Doctor who spin on it is, you know, oh, well, what if it actually happened? What if there were aliens? Oh, what if just happens what to be if happening? there were aliens? But here's the thing: there were aliens, but no one actually saw the aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Like it's it's a great idea, and and of course, yeah, and with that idea, you can tell the story isn't taking itself too seriously. But then you listen to it, and a lot of it's played really straight faced. So I, I, know. I don't think it is. I really don't think it is. I think everybody's just sort of having a fucking giggle while doing it. Now I don't I don't enjoy it. I really don't. But like the fucking American accents aren't particularly played very straight-faced, I think. Don Chaney specifically is not a character who is being played. Oh, is that is that Simon Pegg's character? Yeah, it is. It is oh, fun. he's so great in this. Yeah, well, I mean, for me... Don't get me wrong, Don Chaney is, like, the one thing about this story that I do like, but still, it's Halliard just... Is in uh, this again. <laughs> Just like a very, very tiny, bright light in a thing that's completely coated in darkness for me. I really don't like this one. I'm bored to tears by it. I don't think it's funny. I don't think it's fun. I think it's dull. See, because you have the worst opinions. Isn't he the worst? I hate him today so much. Because, um... I don't know, because I like Empress of Mars a lot. This might be my favorite Gatiss story. Really? I, Have, I, said, I did say I don't know, so... I, don't I mean, know. like... My, yeah, I don't my think Marcus is Red Nightshade. I mean, just... e- but, okay, but even just from New Who, I mean, come on. Unquiet Dead and Crimson Horror. 
I like the Unquiet Dead a lot, actually. Oh, yeah. I also oh, yeah, like Phantasmagoria. But and this Crim- one's and Crimson cool. Horror. They're both fantastic stories. I don't but like I don't know, it. too, because I think part of why I like this is because, I mean, you have a story set in America. It's obviously very exaggerated, over the top. And it's not really set in America. It's set in America of a 1940s yeah. detective yeah, I'm movie. Just, I'm just saying, it feels like they tried to do Minuet in Hell again, but do it good. So... I mean, I still like Minuet in Hell, and honestly, I kind of like Minuet in Hell a little bit more than this. But I, but I'm, I'm just the weird Minuet in Hell apologist. I, so I, just I definitely like Minuet in Hell more than this. <laughs> okay, so I'm curious, what specifically don't like, don't you like about this story, Brian? Pretty much everything except Don Chaney. Like anything you can think of. Oh no, I do like the Orson Welles bits. I do like those. But everything else, I just really don't fucking like. Brian, yeah. I, I don't even know like what to say to you at this point. I, I've kind of run out of insults. I kind of run out of like things to say. There's different ways to say that Brian has a shit opinion. Like I'm just, I, I'm. We you can just leave me at a loss from now. the next Eighth Doctor Celestial podcast. Yeah, he's on. He's he's on the next one. I have him scheduled for at least. But I mean, I, I could always find someone else. I suppose. Yeah, but I actually like a lot of the stories in that one. Uh-huh. Anyway, anything else to add on Invaders from Mars? I will um, say this. Oh, you go ahead first, Jacob. No, you go ahead, Marcus. You go ahead. Um, do you know how one of our complaints about <laughs> New Who is often the aliens are just anthropomorphic animals? Yeah. I never thought I'd make that complaint about Big Finish, but here we are. Giant alien bats. I kind of like them. I don't I think don't this know. is the only time they use giant alien bats as well. <laughs> Aren't the villains in Embrace the Darkness giant alien bats? What I about think... Tet Traps? Well, yeah, but we're talking about Big Finish. Oh, I'll fucking kill have myself. Have the T-Traps been in Big Finish? <laughs> Wait, have they been in Big Finish? I don't think so. I don't know. Anyway, so uh, ratings out of ten for Invaders from Mars. Mm, Jacob, um, I give it an eight. Eight. I want to give it a seven. Marcus. Yeah, I gave it an eight. And Brian. I, I I'm sure I'm not the only one who thinks it's it, it's really low rating. I'm giving it a fucking two. It's terrible. It's not terrible. It's not, a terrible it's, story. It's not a, it's not a too terrible. Like, I know most people don't like the story, and I know, like, odds are me, Jacob, and Marcus so wait, kind of... Wait, you just, you just said, I have the shit opinion here, but also, you admit, you admit that I am pretty much within the general consensus. Well, no, 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 because no, I'm pretty sure even people that dislike it only think it's, like, below average, not a fucking two. Still. But anyway, even people that don't like it, they're all wrong. So me, Jacob, and Marcus still have the moral yes. high ground. Anyway, <laughs> so it's time for that part that nobody ever actually prepares for on this podcast. The part where we rank our, these stories from least favorite to favorite. Oh, fuck! See? Oh. <laughs> well, I, I'm ready. I'm uh, Marcus, also you, ready. And I imagine I have Joey. a weird you rating here. Joey. Marcus and I prepare for this shit. Yeah. I know. I always right. forget about this. All right, so Brian, you in the meantime rank these from least favorite to favorite, and I'll let. What if we go over again? We went over. Oh my god! 
<laughs> Dust Breeding, Blood Tide, Project Twilight, Eye of the Scorpion, Colditz, Primeval, The One Doctor, and Invaders from Mars. I'm Please rank these while we do this. You know, I'll do mine first. Here we go. Uh, bottom to top, I'm going to say Invaders from Mars, Eye of the Scorpion, The One Doctor, Project Twilight, Primeval, Dust Breeding, Colditz, and at the top, Blood Tide. I'm going to hang myself. All right, so for my rating... <laughs> So for my rating, I ignored the ratings I gave them because that was just based on the story's own merits. And here I'm comparing them against each other. So it might be like, yeah, that's a better story, but I like this one more. That's where my rating is coming from. Mm. So at number eight is Colditz. Seven is the Eye of the Scorpion. Six is Blood Tide. Five is Invaders from Mars. Four is Dust Breeding. Three is the One Doctor. Two is Primeval, and one is Project Twilight. I'm going to kill myself with those Colditz and Blood Tide ratings. Wow. Ouch. Right. That fucking hurts. Jacob? <laughs> All right. You're not going to like me, Joey. Oh, are you going to do it too? Are you fucking serious? Here's the thing. All of these are great stories. At the bottom is Dust Breeding. Oh. What the fuck? Then Invaders from Mars. Then I have the Scorpion. Then Blood Tide. Ah! Then Colditz. Ah! Then Primeval. Then One Doctor. Go slower! Then <laughs> Project Twilight. I can't go slower, Brian. Fuck! <laughs> Brian is eternally the most unprepared you, person. You, the worst score is a best. 7 out of 10. The worst score is a 7 out of 10. Yeah, so, like, but still. Yeah, so I think it's, it's, and it's here's the thing. Here's the thing. If if I could do ties, um, Blood Tide, Colditz, and Primeval would be tied with each other, um, and probably Invaders from Mars and Scorpion would be tied with each other. One, two, three, four, five. Brian, six, please. I've got it. Thank you. Go ahead, All Brian. Right. So at the bottom is Invaders. You're wrong. Next up, I mean, I mean, I I put invaders at the bottom of mine too, Jacob. Yeah, but we know how far he says invaders isn't good. He's his his bottom isn't a bad is our bottoms aren't bad positions. His is. Okay. Next up is I have the scorpion, then Project Twilight, then the One Doctor, followed by Blood Tide, Dust Breeding, Primeval, and Colditz. Okay. Anyway, so how I guess that... A... Wait, how much do you want to hang yourself after mine? You know what? Honestly, I'm kind of more pissy at, J at Jacob and Marcus's lists, so... What? That's... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. What? It's just, it, how? Like... I pissed you off throughout most of this video, and somehow... Somehow, it's kind of well, it's kind of so weird because it's, Joey. I don't understand. Well, it's weird because I prioritized dust breeding, blood tide, and cold. It's as my favorites of 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 the ones we talked about today, and you had those fairly high. So I mean, them having them fairly low kind of pisses me off. So yeah, uh, I kind of hate Jacob and Marcus right now, and Brian for the first time ever on the Celestial Podcast. I love you. There is a god. <laughs> All right, so uh, I guess let's start wrapping this up. Anything we would like to plug, Marcus? Um, yeah, just 
if you click on the link that Joy is sure to provide, my channel, The Sentinel, I have some upcoming product projects coming up, no planned dates. Um, with the release of the finale this week, I will be doing a review of Volume 7 of the web series, Ruby. I'm still doing Series 12 reviews. Once those are over, I'm going to rank the episodes. And then, as far as new stuff from Big Finish goes, I will have a review for the 12th Doctor Chronicles. And then... If you're familiar with my channel, you've seen I'll often go into Big Finish's backlog and review some of their older story arcs. I've already picked two of them. Again, no dates. I will be reviewing the Locum Doctors trilogy and the complete series, series one and two of the spinoff, Sarah Jane Smith. Ooh, the Locum Doctors trilogy Mar is really good. <laughs> Marcus is the one professional thing about this fucking podcast. Jacob, <laughs> what would you like to plug? Um... Uh, a couple of things. Uh, obviously, there's always novel adaptations on this channel. I'm the writer. Uh, Joey's the, dire the director and editor. Uh, Brian and Marcus are often stars. Um, uh, uh, we, by the time this is out, Cat's Cradle Time Principle is releasing or has been completely released. So if you haven't checked that out, check it out. And check out mm, War uh, Warhead in May. And uh, that'll be cool. Um, on my own channel, my marathon's still going strong. I should be in the middle. I'm in the middle. I'll be in the middle. I'm in the middle of the fifth Doctor and Nissa stories right now. I don't know where I'll be when this goes up. As of recording, I'm in the middle of the Thomas Brewster trilogy. Um, cool. Uh, so I'll probably, by the time this goes, I'll probably be either in the Stockbridge trilogy, the couple of anthologies with Nissa, or, like, the final trilogy. So it's all just going to depend on when this gets out. Uh, and on my blog, I review Doctor Who books and other books. I should have a review of the of the epic novel Shogun that's coming out, some other fantasy that I'm reviewing, and I'll eventually be building up to reviewing the 10-book epic Malazan Book of the Fallen. So if you like fantasy, go there. Hell yeah, Brian, go ahead. I can't wait to see how... Like, we had two really solid runs of plugging shit, and now we're moving on to Brian. Brian, take it away. <laughs> My channel's dead at the moment. You knew that was coming. You knew I was going to do that. You fucking knew I would do some shit like that. But no, um, honestly, Joey's where a lot of stuff featuring me has been going recently because I've been busy and can't be asked to do anything on my own channel. So if you want more from me, just stick around with Joey for a bit. I'll I'll come to my, yeah. Uh, I'll come back to my channel at some point. It, it will happen, but this is going to be your main source of Briar Hardo too for a while, probably. Lovely. Uh, and coming soon to Security Kitchen Productions. Uh, we have uh, currently Tax Crucible is releasing. I think when this comes out, it'll be part four coming. If not part three, I may release it this week because part two just came out today as of recording this. So. Either way, Times Crucible is currently releasing. You could go back to part one. You can find the playlist on my channel. That's currently releasing. It's going great. Um, we've been getting fairly high praise. People saying it's the best we've done so far. So that's fantastic. Um, uh, what else? Uh, more commentaries coming up. We have an Ambassadors of Death commentary coming later this month with uh, with Lord Slar and, of course, Brian here. Um, more commentaries coming up in the year. We're doing... Um, Oh, what else later in the year? Web of Fear, uh, Kiza Marinus, Battlefield later on. Um, I can't remember anything else off the top of my head. But yeah, lot, lots of fun commentaries coming up. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Uh, Love and War audiobook is currently releasing. By the time this comes out, I think the next chapter will be chapter five. If not, it'll be chapter four like it is currently. So 
I hope this chapter's edited, or no, recorded, I should say. And uh, what else? What else? What else? Uh, I think that about does it. Uh, next month on Celestial Podcast, we're covering uh, the next four Virgin New Adventures uh, with Jacob and new guest to the channel, Mason. He's awesome. Um, yeah, can't wait to uh, to get started on that. Can't wait for you guys to hear what's coming up. And I guess uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank the three of you for coming on to the podcast. Uh, it's been fun, and by fun I mean emotionally scarring. And, uh, <laughs> let's... <laughs> so thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening to this, uh, the the Celestial Podcast. I know the name of my own podcast. Uh, so until next time, this has been Joey Morgan from Security Kitchen Productions. Goodbye. We'll see you next. Time.